Welcome to Because, I'm Mark Zyla. On this week's episode, we hear the becauses of Nathan Wint, Director of Choral Activities at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. I've loved working with Nathan in various capacities as a performer over the years and as colleagues at St. Ambrose. And I find his story to be really exciting and, and sometimes surprising in terms of his development of his career and the amount of times that he just kind of followed his gut and decided to jump in the deep end and see what happens. So uh, I think you'll really enjoy this story and you'll find a lot of inspiration in the idea that sometimes in life you have gut feelings and you need to trust your instincts and go for it. I hope you enjoy Nathan Wint. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So, Nathan, let's start with where are you from? I'm originally from the Chicago area. Okay. I can't say Chicago because it was the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Calumet City, which is like south suburbs, about 40 minutes south of Chicago. Okay. I lived in Lake Bluff for a while on the other side of Chicago, north side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to school at North Park University, which is in Chicago, like Ravenswood neighborhood, about 10 minutes from Wrigley Field, which okay. is important because I'm a huge Cubs fan. Right. Um, and then... So yeah, like grew up in the Chicago area and then kind of taught... just like stayed there uh-huh. for a long time. Yeah. So um, what were your parents up to? What uh, what was going on in your family when you were young in Chicago? Yeah. Well, so my mom is a musician. Like okay. she's retired now, but she teaches piano and and voice and like she some sometimes would teach like Shorewood Elementary, which is near Joliet. Okay. Um, but mostly had like a private studio and mm-hmm. like that actually like one of the first things I remember in terms of music in the house is like her playing the piano and she do like piano transcriptions of Mozart and Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's a retired architect and okay. designer. So um, like music from one side of my family, but my dad was, you know, he's, he's a cool guy. So like he was supported whatever we wanted to do. For sure. So um, let's dig into your mom's story a little bit. Like what is the musical connection that got her into music? Because I'm, I'm going to guess that having that piano and having a musical mother kind of helped shape you into becoming a musician yourself. But how did she get there? Yeah. Well, it took me a lot longer than than her because I had a – we'll probably talk about it later. Well, I had like a, a weird path into we gotta it. we got to let this story slow burn. Nathan. I know. We that's can't right. Get too far ahead. Yeah. So I should know more about this, but I, I don't know if I've ever really asked. So okay. here are the things that I know. I know her dad was a singer. He's a baritone okay. and did a lot of like church music singing and like leading from the pulpit. Like he's one of those churches where you – You've got like a cat up there who like conducts the congregation and sings, right? right? Right. So I know he did that. I know she went to a conservatory in Chicago. I think it was at the time called the Chicago Conservatory. Okay. And so she studied piano. Um, she traveled to Japan and did a little bit of like, I can't remember if it was like missionary work or music work, but it was like a little bit of both over right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, her background was primarily like, piano performance and and playing and then like i probably should (laughs) i don't always ask the like the the kind of questions that 
I think people should or like mm-hmm. digging into family history. Right. But my guess is like at some point she pivoted more towards like individual private lessons, maintaining a studio at the house. Like mm-hmm. I always remember on Wednesdays, like we all had to be really quiet in the house. Right. And like there was <laughs> there was a part of the house we couldn't go by and mm-hmm. like, you know, don't put your shoes over there. And it was like, OK, we all have to be quiet for right. four hours on Wednesday night. to maintain this part of the house as a business. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's why I like I teach at Ambrose because I don't want to. Uh, like my, my private lessons because right. well first of all my house I- here in in Iowa is not like big enough right. for a piano but I kind of like that that separation I like having that but anyway yeah, so yeah. she came Same. from from like music with her dad on her dad's side and... okay very very cool so um, what were I know that the sounds of of your mother playing piano and and I'm sure these lessons are like just ingrained into your memories, just mm-hmm. like mine. With uh, you know, I, I think I learned a lot of horn repertoire just because my dad taught so many lessons as well. It was like, oh, I guess that's a piece I'll probably play someday. Right. Oh, there's another one I'll probably play someday. So, um, but what? Uh, what were your musical fascinations outside of that? Do you have any memories of anything early that really excited you? I remember certain Bach inventions mm-hmm. and thinking those were cool. Mm-hmm. I rem- and I only remember them later once I started learning music and I'd be like, I remember oh. my mom playing that, right? right, right. Like uh, Mozart's C minor fantasy, mm-hmm. a piano fantasy, some list um, pieces. And again, like... So like active music. Uh-huh, yeah. right? So like I'd be... I, I mean, I can... I hear it in my mind's ear. I'm downstairs in the basement, like the room directly beneath the studio. Right. And I would hear her playing and I'm like, I like that song. Mm-hmm. But I, at that point when I was a kid, like I wasn't really super into music. I would just listen and be like, oh, okay, that's cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as I finally got into it and I would hear these pieces, then of course all those memories flood back, right? right. So you can like see, um, I would go up every now and again in the studio when she wasn't playing and just kind of look at, look, look at, at the, the music, music just to see what it looked like, right? right. Um, so like a confusing mess of of black black notes i know it right and like so i took piano for a year and i remember thinking like i just want to play that like Mm -hmm. i don't want to have to learn fingering or scales or anything boring like some two-hand arrangement of hot cross buns right Right. like i'm like i want to just dive right into that yeah yeah right (laughs) foundational work (laughs) i don't need that i needed that very badly that's the problem right right exactly so um i think I'm going to guess that maybe this is also a time in which this uh, lifelong love of the Cubs started. Yeah. And like, let's talk a lot about that because for me, my, my thing was baseball as well. And it was like Cleveland guardians loved them so much because it was the only MLB team I actually got to go to a game for. Uh And I was just like all in. So how did your Cubs love start? I, so I went to a game in August of 1987, uh-huh. and I remember the Cubs were playing the Padres, and it was really hot. And I remember that was the first year Andre Dawson was on the team, and the only reason I remember that is because I remember the crowd like cheering him big time when right. he came up to the plate. Like mm-hmm. that was his first year there, and mm-hmm. um, I, we were in the upper deck on the first baseline, and I don't know, like in Chicago. We lived in the South Side at the time, and almost everybody in the South Side follows the Sox. Right. And so I don't know how I became a Cubs fan. I think probably just either seeing it on WGN, because mm-hmm. like back in the day, those games were on every day, right. 120. Right. Like it was great in the summertime because it gave me something to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think between that and that being like the first game that I saw in person at Wrigley, right. um, I kind of got hooked on it. My dad was a Sox fan in part because 
his dad was a Cubs fan and got wrecked so many years, including in 1969, that he's like, I can't handle that. I'm not going to put myself through it. Right. Yeah. But like, I just, I don't know what it is about baseball. It's just like being outside and like the Mm -hmm. smell of the grass. And Mm -hmm. of course, like the pitch clock now and all these things that speed up the game. I don't know if I love that so much. I kind of liked it when baseball, like the game ended when it ended. Right. And it's somehow both feels like a long time but not uh-huh because you, you just kind of like decide to spend the afternoon there yeah and like yeah that's totally how i feel about it as well because i went to a bandits game like two weeks ago or something like that and i know that they have been using the pitch clock for a while but it like to see the game just like speed along like that i'm just like whoa don't kick me out of the ballpark I... just yet i want to chill here for a right. little longer so um did you play baseball growing no. up? No. no, I was terrible. Okay. Yeah. Like, I remember I, I got a, a bat, and, like, when we were moving up to the north suburbs for a little bit, like, mm-hmm. we were well, – I think we were staying in an apartment for a couple months while we were waiting for the house to be to being finished. And my mom would, like, play – she'd throw the, the ball to me because I desperately wanted to learn how to hit. And so, right. like, I was – decent but never mm-hmm. really never right. really good right? Right, right so like it was just kind of thing where i was like okay well i'll just watch baseball and like it <laughs> right very good because i wasn't like super fast i wasn't super strong i was just like decent but... right yep well we need consumers of all the things as well that's so, right very good um so let's let's start to delve into your musical story here what it uh, you mentioned that you took piano lessons and all that uh that you had some fascination with the music that your mother was playing Let's start to get some of these foundational experiences going. And you said that your story is a little different, so let's uh, let's let's start to get to it. So, so let let's start with, you know, maybe in school, like what was going on in school for you and in, in related to music. But not, I also interrupted you. So what were you? No, about that's to all right. Say? I was going to say, like in school, I, I, this isn't. I'm not trying to like knock any of my elementary teachers, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember having a bad or good. It was just like classroom music. Like right. the school I was at. Um, Calvin Christian is a small private school in South Holland, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out South Holland. Anybody listening to this that knows that. <laughs> but anyway, like, um, I'm sure everybody's going to be like, I know no. Calvin Christian. No. Yep. So, like, so it was fine. Mr. Brummel was the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, we didn't have a choir. If we had one, I didn't participate. I didn't know about it. Right. I, um, since my mom was a piano teacher, she said we all had to take piano, lesson, piano lessons for a year. And okay. then, like, after that, we could decide what we wanted to do. Well, right. like after a year of like not practicing and then not because I wasn't practicing, I couldn't play like those Mozart and the Bach things that I would hear and like really liked. I stopped playing because right. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Like yeah, this yeah. is, and I, the, like being in the, the house where you also take the lessons and knowing like your mom or your dad or whoever, like if you've got a parent that teaches music, like, that they're kind of like listening to you and like covering, like I think just all of the joy was out of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I took it for a year and then I quit. Yep. Um, all of my younger siblings took it for more than a year. And so like, consequently, they're much better pianists than I am. Right. Like, <laughs> I, so I mean, if I knew then what I know now, then of course I would have kept taking piano right. lessons, but I didn't, I didn't know what, well, actually that's not true. I When I was in fourth grade, I remember wanting to be president, like politics. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, like I read, books about presidents and biographies and all this stuff. So I'm like, I don't need to play the piano to be president. Like, right. I'm just going to, like, do my own thing. Right. And every now and again... You can and just again, pick up the saxophone like Bill Clinton. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, like, every now and again, I'd get the itch to, to play again. So I'd go up to the piano, and then I remember twice, some like, between... 
like fourth grade, the year when I had to take lessons, and my senior year of high school. I remember twice saying, all right, I, I want to try piano lessons again, but those did not last long. It was like mm-hmm. another month of like the same hassle, of like having to log my practice minutes and having to play the same stuff. What I thought was just like n- not important, not fun. So mm-hmm. so it never took, right? Right. Um, and junior high, again, like I, I was in the color guard for marching band. Like Sweet. you carry a rifle around. Mm-hmm. We went to tulip time in right. – uh, uh, where is that? Central Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pella. Pella. That's the name. Yeah. 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 So anyway, like, but like, you don't have to do any music for that. Like you march right. in step. That's right. Pretty you easy. You listen to the music. Yeah. Right. Move with it. Yeah. So, so in like high school, I had a friend um, that I'd known since seventh grade and he's like, you should sing in the choir. And this was my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what the heck? Why not? Like, right. I got, I got nothing to do. So I sang and like it, it went pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like I could read music well. Cause I had that piano experience right. and like, I, I kind of joined because I'm like, Oh, I'll just like meet new people. Like right. that'll be fun. Yeah. And, and I figured it'd be pretty easy. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was a good experience. Like we, this, the, School I was at, we didn't do Ileana Christian Lansing. Shout out Lansing. So right, right, right South Suburbs of Chicago. But like we, I mean, we had a decent choir. It sounded good. But we, like, what I do now in working with choirs in Iowa and Illinois with mm-hmm. like contest and memorization and re- all this stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. We never had any of that. So right. like it was just like we'd perform a couple concerts at churches and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it, like it was a good choir. There were good right. singers in the group, so it was mm-hmm. like a positive experience. Right. But it was never. I, I never was like put into the world of like competitive music making or singing or anything like that. I right. think I did a solo contest my senior year and I got a good rating on it. But then like because I got a good rating, I had to sing for like a school assembly. And I hated that because okay. like all my friends were like, you know, making fun of me, like while I'm up there singing, I'm not trying to be cool and not right, right. like I'm enjoying it on the inside, but I'm trying to look like I don't enjoy it because, right. you know, high school, like our brains right. are mush at that point. Right. So. <laughs> which is to be cool is to not like anything. Uh huh. Right. Which is like so odd as an adult. You're just like, so wait, you don't like anything yeah. and you like that you don't like anything. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and you have children, right? Are, yeah, yeah. Are, are oh, any yeah. of them in, in, that, in that age group? My middle girl, she she's she's the one that takes after me the most. Okay. So my son, my son's at Ambrose, which is very cool because he sings in my choir. That's okay. been awesome. Yeah, yeah. And my my youngest daughter, like, never met a stranger. She hangs out by our window and like we have a park across the street and she sees anybody. She's like, go to the park. Emma, my middle daughter, is kind of like that, like. She just reads Crime and Punishment for fun. And I'm just like, who does that? Like, I didn't do that when I was a kid. But, like, it's also, you know, nothing. Like, the second you try to get emotionally engaged with her, be like, that's really cool. She'll roll her eyes and be like, whatever. I'm going to my room. Well, yes. Well, you have the the 20s to look forward to in which people re-engage with their parents in meaningful ways. Yeah, right. Um, I'm loving hearing this story because I'm – like I said before we started taping, the like beauty of this show is that it's like about telling your story, but it's finding connections as a listener to the story. And so my first horn teacher was my dad. And so like we had a good time together, but the problem was is that he always wanted to have lessons at like the worst time mm. for a 14, 15 year old. So it's like Saturday morning at like 830 yeah. in the morning. It's like, <laughs> let's have a lesson. And you're just like, why? We have 24 hours in this day. Why 830 in the morning on a Saturday? Right. So stuff like that. But um, <laughs> also 
my choir story because I joined choir in high school and my dad actually kind of urged me to do it because we had a really great choir at, at the high school I went to. But for him, he was just like, well, I mean, he's a 15 year old boy and there's a lot of girls in uh-huh. choir. And so he was like, hey, man, you might meet some girls in choir. And I was like, hey. That sounds right pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, for for me, like, though, that foundational, like, I think he was trying to get me to sing because that connection of, like, voice to music page to instrument is so important on, on the, the horn side. But anyway, you have to convince people to do things in a lot of different ways. And, hey, it worked for me, and I'm so glad I did choir. Yeah. It seems like you did. <laughs> You're glad you did it, too. Yeah, I am. So when... Uh, what was the experience or, or what was going on that kind of sparked your interest in, in, in becoming who you are today as somebody who uh, there's probably not a day that goes by that you're not thinking choir or, or uh-huh. doing choir? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so weird because I chose – so I went to North Park in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I chose that school uh, as a political science major – because they had a good music program. Okay. <laughs> so that should have been like a tell right there, right? right? But um, but initially hedging your bets a little bit, but also like kind of getting into music because you know that's probably where you kind of wanted to be. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I knew some people from my high school that went there. I knew they had a really good choir. I knew that you didn't have to be a music major to, to be in those groups. Um, and I remember um, a couple of things that like were these turning points and like, all of these like Marvel Cinematic Universes where now you're seeing the multiverse. And I, there mm-hmm. were like a couple multiverse moments in my experience. I remember August of 1997 auditioning for the Chamber Singers at North Park. And this was like their elite group, mm-hmm. like maybe 16 singers. And they did a lot of Renaissance motets and a lot of like American folk hymn arrangements. And I wanted badly to be in that group because they mm-hmm. were really good. I'd heard... Uh, my friend from high school who was at that – in his second year at North Park had, like, let me a cassette tape. Like, mm. back in the day when, right. like – Right? Yeah. So, like, I'm listening to this cassette Still tape. remember and I'm those. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like <sighs> Finding music on a tape. Get out of town. It's like you end up spending more time queuing than you do actually listening. Uh-huh. It's like, it took me five minutes to find a three-minute piece. Right. You get the like the pencil and you you like the t- some of the magnetic tape comes out. But yeah, you're in the car and you're like trying to play this song for right. a friend. And you're like, no, 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 not, not there not yet. That not there. Oh, I went too far, and then you got to play it. <laughs> so anyway, I heard them. They recorded something when they toured Sweden, and I'm like, mm-hmm. they are awesome. I have to be in that group. Right. And so I took voice lessons over the summer. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I'd ever done voice lessons. My mom um, took me to the community college, South Suburban, mm-hmm. um, in South Holland. And so I took lessons and auditioned, and I was scared to death. I wasn't going to get in. And I got in. And I found out later, it bothered me initially when I found out later, but like I got over it. I found out later the reason I got in is because they knew my mom was a music teacher, and they're like, maybe he's got some potential. All right. So like, and and like, I first heard that and I'm like, well, that sucks. Like, yeah. I thought I was pretty decent. Right. But I, I haven't mean, it, demonstrated it, the potential. It's just cerebral potential. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it worked. I mean, it was it was amazing. So like, yeah, yeah. but if I hadn't gotten into that group, I don't. I mean, I still would have sung in the big choir at North Park, but I don't know what my music experience would have been like because being in the chamber singers, we went to California 
that May for a tour up and down the coast. Mm -hmm. And we sang at the Crystal Cathedral on television. We did a Schutz double choir motet and a, a Jennings spiritual arrangement. I remember those songs. And that was like the first time as a singer thinking like, this is cool. Like, mm -hmm. I am all about this. Like, we would go from church to church in California, like a two-week tour, mm -hmm. staying in host homes. I'm, like, seeing the Pacific Ocean for the first time, and I'm like, can I just, like, stay here? Like, right. cool with this? Like, mm -hmm. and then it just that that really kind of was a big deal in terms of forming um, where I'm at today because, like, my small choirs at both Tennessee and, and here at St. Ambrose, like, are – foundationally built on Renaissance motets and American folk hymns and spirituals mm -hmm. because of that experience that I got wow. in North Park. That's really amazing. Uh, and then another kind of a nexus moment where it, it could have gone one way or the other, but I had a friend, the same friend actually who'd been in the group and, you know, convinced me to come to North Park. Um, we went to go see the Monteverdi Vespers because mm -hmm. we were both like into that early music, right? It was like Chicago right. Baroque or something was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to that and thinking, this is awesome. But most of the time I was watching the conductor. Like when I go to concerts, that's what I do. I think it's I think it's awesome to watch conductors because they all we, like different language and like the way they visually communicate. Like I'm, no two are the same I in know. every way. It, even when like you see students of of a conducting teacher and you see similarities but then there are little quirks there's little differences between each one of them uh -huh. so it was kind of fascinating to yeah. see but yeah, yeah totally get it yeah so i saw the conductor and i'm like i could do that and and i i mean it wasn't like i could do that if politics w didn't work out i yeah. thought i could do that i want to do that wow but then i was thinking like okay so what am i going to have to do to be a conductor for a, a group like this and it was right. obviously like starting to think about switching to a music major that was my sophomore year at north park and i'd started taking theory and oral skills because i knew i wanted to get a minor in music that was going right. to be easy so it was kind of like this gateway of like a little moment here, a little moment there, and then just kind of like having the seeds planted where I started to think, well, music is easy. I could do this. And right. of course, it's not like it's not easy, um, but it some of the things came easy to me. Like I think like conducting any – I always joke anybody can conduct. Like anybody can learn a, a pattern, a pattern right. and do that, right? Mm -hmm. But like I felt comfortable being in front of people – and like when I was younger, like I thought, oh, I can I can tell people what to do. And of mm -hmm. course, it's not conducting is not like that. Like you, right. ideally, you're trying to get everybody like collaborating with each other, mm -hmm. right? So like, but like when I was a kid, I'm like, I can I can get people to follow me, and I could. Like right. as I've gotten older, like it's it's much less like that. Like I I can't tell people what to do because right. that that's just not not the spirit of music making, right? Right. But, but so. I guess for me, what I'm hearing a lot in this and, and kind of connecting to is that, you know, I've played in orchestras for longer than I haven't played in orchestras at this point in my life. And I love about being in an orchestra that um, if I prepare my part super well and I connect with those around me and, and feel and understand how my part fits in, the, the ensemble kind of like gels together mm -hmm. and that's like a really important thing and that's not dissimilar to choir but in a sense there's even more of a team spirit within a choir and like when you're talking about this group at north park 
I kind of imagine that it's like you have these things like you're traveling or you're doing this recording or something like that. And it's a project that everyone just gets like super committed to. Yep. And that like everybody is focused on that. And there's this really, I, I don't know, it's a feeling that you get where it's like maybe not every single member, but it's like 99.9% yep. of a choir is like committed to this project in a way that's a little bit different than any other ensemble and to me it's like i've not i've not found that kind of a team experience outside of like my choral background because mm -hmm. like i don't know man it's like it's your team like I, I i don't know it's just it's different do you have a better way of like explaining that than i don't think than so i do <laughs> but you're like you're conversely like cho choirs are unique in that kind of like family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not an instrumentalist. I, I mean, now I can play the piano well enough. Like I can, I can cover lessons and like sectionals right. and things like that in choir, but like, mm -hmm. so I'm not an instrumentalist. So I, I, I don't go to band and orchestra rehearsals very much, but as I observe students in hallways, I think the closest is like the, the, the band, the, the band kids. Right? right. So like they, there's always a cool vibe that the band kids have even mm -hmm. if the whole like the whole brand is like we're not cool we're band kids but it's right. cool like what they yeah. do like they're tight with each other they like support each other it's a, a place where everybody can feel really welcome mm -hmm. and choirs i think are like that too i don't know if it's because we associate our voice our instruments so much with our identity mm -hmm. that there is like this shared vulnerability that even if we're not we're not sitting in rehearsal everybody every day saying like well i feel really vulnerable today as i'm singing here like but it's right. just that that's present in the back of right the mind. right yeah, yeah. and we like the the chamber singers we i remember like people would get mad when like two or three rehearsals down the road if somebody wasn't pulling their weight right. like that was a serious group and mm -hmm. i i respected that like yeah. i like when I when I rehearse, whether I'm a singer or a conductor, I want to get to work. Like it's, I, I, I'm not a robot. Like we'll say hello and do these things, but like I'm not there for like idle chit chat. I want to right. get down to business and I want to like enjoy that community music making, right? Right. And so that I remember, like we we were a tight knit group, and I think choirs, the best choirs, are able to balance that relationship of of vulnerability and friendship and empathy with each other mm -hmm. while also like going for excellence and really being at the right. top of their game and a, a shared commitment to the end goal of being awesome mm -hmm. yeah and that's like something i always share with my students is like there's no reason to do this unless we try to be super good at it right and like being super good at it means x y and z which isn't always fun but i promise you once we get to the part where like we're really kicking butt like man, that feeling of being able to play anything or yep. to be able to put yourself in any situation is, is super, super awesome. Um, so let's get you on the path to getting you the credentials to get you where you are today. So did a, did a degree change happen or, or was yeah. this a, um, so t let's talk about that. So, so like I said, I went to North Park for political science. The end of my sophomore year, mm -hmm. uh, I decided to switch to music education. My mom kind of tried to talk me out of it because she, I think, knew, like, you know, like mm -hmm. the music field is difficult. Like right. there is a lot of challenges, both in terms of the number of people out there and like the, I don't know about you, but like I, I question every day sometimes, like, what am I doing? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that another part of the music world and i think if you want to become a performer or you want to 
um, I mean, being a conductor is performing as well. If you want to be leading musical ensembles and all that, so much of our upbringing or what gets us going is listening to recordings. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like a really big deal to kind of get to a point where I'm like, I have a unique voice that I that I can put into my artistic output and that it's not always measuring up to something else or next to something else. So it's like, you know, I, I would always say, like when I was at Carnegie Mellon, like if I could get 10% as good as Bill Caballero, my teacher, then I'll mm -hmm. be fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like now I think it's like, well, I'm just trying to be 100% Mark Zyla, you know, and like every day I try to get a little better. And, you know, I, I think sharing that progress and sharing that commitment to just like trying to be better for the sake of being better, you know, because yeah. it's like I don't get paid more if I play better. But like at the same time, like I'm committed to being an artist in that way in the sense that like, I don't know, I roll my eyes when I say artist, mm -hmm. but it's like it is my craft and it is a yeah. thing that I enjoy sharing with others. But like, you know, the imposter syndrome, I think, comes from this world of like, you're just so steeped in these, I mean, mostly historical recordings. Like, it's like, I'll, I'll never be the Chicago Symphony brass section from 1965. Right. So stop trying. Yeah, yeah. Just play as well as you can. So like, to me, I totally connect with that. I was like, what am I doing? Like, just go listen to recordings of this guy because like, it's way better than me. So, <laughs> But like what you're saying, I think like, I get that. Like mm -hmm. this, I think it's a combination of like, as we grow older and better at our craft, mm -hmm. we feel like we we worry less about comparisons with people that we emulated. Like I used to listen to Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau on repeat, like right. all of his German art songs. And I think I do a lot of German art songs today because I just, I enjoy the repertoire. And for the longest time, like I wanted to be like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think as we get older and maybe maybe not better necessarily, like in my case, but like you get older and you're like, you're comfortable with where your voice is and you mm -hmm. know, like there's less of that measuring up. And now that like we're, we're both working with students and I don't know what your students are like, but mine, they, you know, they worry, they want to be perfect. And I, res I, I respect the the drive. I mm -hmm. like, I'm all about that, but mm -hmm. you know, we, none of us can be perfect. Right. It's right. just trying to get them to enjoy the process yep. as well as like striving for the good. Right. <laughs> I just had a lesson the other day where a student played something like, well, like, and I said, you know, you sound beautiful, but it can be more interesting. So, uh -huh. you know, let's risk missing notes, but go for dynamics. Let's go for articulation. And you're just like, I'm like, it's okay. I've never yelled at you before. I'm not going to start right now. Right. So like, let's go for it. So yeah, I totally dig into that. Yeah. So I got, so, so I switched to music ed. And part of the reason I switched is because there were great teachers at North Park. I studied with Rollo Dilworth, who, if anybody knows like the whole choir game, like he is, he, he's a big time composer and arranger of African-American spirituals and gospel music. Um, just one of the most brilliant musicians I've ever met, like can play anything, a good singer, superb leader, empathetic, like he is a total mentor role model for mm -hmm. me. Um, I remember Joe Lill, who I never, I took a brass methods class as a music ed major, but yeah, I yeah. never had other classes with him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't an instrumentalist, but he was really helpful in making sure that I graduated in five years, which might seem like a lot, but mm -hmm. back in the day, music ed majors at North Park took five, it was a five-year program. Right. So for me to be able to like, by my junior year, switched to music and still finish in five years right. was 
a credit to like him keeping me on the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, the orchestral teacher, Tom Zell, I still see him at Illinois music conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still at North Park. He had a lot to do with like forming my initial conducting style and technique. Um, very German in every sense of the word, like <laughs> super intellectual, deep thought. Like when you ask a question, the, the response is always frank, candid, matter of fact. And you're like, oh, wait, when I asked you like, do you think I should lose some weight? You just told me, yes, you should lose about, you could lose about 20 pounds. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, man. Like, I appreciate your your candor. But he, like, just super brilliant. And I think mm-hmm. they they set me up really well, along with all the other, my voice teacher, David Holloway, who is at the, um, I think he's retired now, but he works with Santa Fe Opera. Okay. Um, just, I had great experiences. Part of my experiences there helped me get into the Chicago Symphony Chorus. So I sang with them mm-hmm. and had an internship with the Chicago Symphony Chorus with the South Suburban, South Shore Community Chorus. So okay. they had eight of us like within the Chicago Symphony that would um, go on Saturday mornings uh, down at like 55th or 53rd. Mm-hmm. We led a choir and our job was like, besides being vocal section leaders, we would lead uh, section, uh, not section, warm-ups. We would okay. alternate warm-ups. Mm-hmm. And this is like, again, one of those Nexus Universe events. So I'm leading the warm-up on a Saturday morning, and the chorus director, Dwayne Wolf, happens mm-hmm. to walk in, and I see him walking in, and I'm in the middle of a warm-up, and like I'm, I think one of the things, I, I'm pretty hard on myself, but one of the things I think I do well are like coming up with warm-ups that are relevant to what I want to get done in the given day. Okay. So I was going through these warm-ups with the choir, and they were getting engaged, and that was it. We had a regular rehearsal. Mm-hmm. A week later, I'm at Symphony Center, and we're her- rehearsing for Berlioz Requiem, and I'm, I'm this... I'm two months into singing with the Chicago Symphony Chorus and like all these great singers around me. And like back then I was like, okay, just find my seat, sit down, be ready to sing. Don't talk. Don't make, don't make noise or anything. Right. He comes up to me. He doesn't say, hi, I'm Dwayne. He's like, your warmups were excellent the other day. It was just like, and I was just like, that's amazing. But of course, I didn't say anything. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like huge to get just even a little bit of validation that uh-huh. like what you're on is the right track. It was brilliant. And yep. then I um, was looking at graduate schools. That year after North Park, when I was singing with Chicago Symphony, I was teaching in the Steger School District, um, mm-hmm. doing third through sixth grade music in the morning, and then junior high choir and general music ed in oh, the afternoon. Very cool. So like, I was looking at grad schools because I knew like, I-, I wanted to teach I probably eventually wanted to teach at college, but I knew I wanted to teach high school sooner rather than later. So I was looking at grad schools, interviewed at Ohio State and Cincinnati. And when I went to Cincinnati, I found out that Dwayne Wolf was very good friends with Earl Rivers, who was the director of choral activities there. He just retired a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. Shout Mm -hmm. out, Dr. Rivers. Anyway, (laughs) um, he... He said, I talked to Dwayne Wolf the other day. He said, you were amazing. And if we take you, you have to send somebody just like you. I was just like... Small world. I mean, you and I know now how mm-hmm. how small the world can right, be in music. For sure. But it was like one of those moments that you kind of get the idea of like, okay, maybe maybe I'm not wrong in this. Right. Right. It's like the idea I had one time. Uh, one of the other members, of the Pittsburgh Symphony Horn section, came to me and was like, "Hey, Bill was talking about you the other day and it, it backstage." I was like. Bill Caballero thinks about me when, like, I'm not right in front of him, and and he was saying nice things about me, like. I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, the the music world is small, and we love to talk. Uh huh. <laughs> so, you're headed to 
Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. Very so big, I yeah. went and got my got my <laughs> master's there, and I applied for the for the doctorate right after, and didn't initially get in. They wanted me to teach uh, some more, and I I, I get that because I'd only had one year of public school teaching experience right. before starting my master's. Mm-hmm. So I was gonna like stay in Cincinnati and and find a high school teach for a couple of years and then reapply, mm-hmm. and it worked out like they came back to me a month later and they're like, we have an opening, we'd like you to to continue your doctorate here. And mm-hmm. this was like full fellowship stipend. And I'm like, I can't turn this down. Like I had no grad school debt. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like last year finished paying off my undergrad debt. So like, I feel like pretty amazing. Right. But, like I, I couldn't pass that opportunity up. Right, no doubt. So the, the, I mean, the concern that all of us had was that I only had a year of public school teaching. And mm-hmm. as the, at least in higher ed, there are very few jobs out there now that don't require multiple years of public school teaching, partly right. because the market is just so saturated with with teachers. So they, it's one of the ways you separate experience. Plus, really, like that, I look back and a lot of the things that I learned through my um, music ed degree and that I applied in professional teaching in Steger mm-hmm. uh, helped me a great, they still help me a tremendous amount. And right. like, as I go to visit junior highs and high schools in the region here, like, first of all, like shout out to all those teachers. They are doing the Lord's work working mm-hmm. with these kids. But mm-hmm. like, I, I still use those things. So I right. think it was really valuable, but it was also really nice to be able to like know that I was going to be there for another year or two and, and finish my uh, doctorate. And then when I finished my doctorate, the coursework, I had a year while I was writing my thesis and did some adjunct work at Central State University, which is in Wilberforce, Ohio, historically black college. That was also life-changing for me because like I had always been in predominantly white schools and Mm -hmm. here I was the minority and Mm -hmm. learning all sorts of great rep and teaching, I have had about eight to 10 voice students Mm -hmm. and their foundation in their repertoire began with the art song spiritual, Harry Burley and Moses Hogan and Hale Stork and all of these things. And I had done a lot of spirituals with Rollo at North Park. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was, I was familiar with the style and comfortable with it, but like I was not aware of the depth of art song for solo singers. Right. So that had, that really made an impression on me. And that's something like with my students today, like all of them in a, a year cycle are going to get at least one art song spiritual because, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? right? Like, So I think that's just important like for them to sing that and for them to learn that style. Mm-hmm. I had a high school student who I gave um, a Deep River arrangement to, and one of the I won't name the school, so I'm trying to be really vague here, mm-hmm. like in case they're listening. Mm-hmm. But there was some concern that this student wouldn't be able to like effectively sing this art song, and I'm like, right. this is this is an art song. This is a spiritual that talks about deep needs that we all have. Right. Like, yes, he is not African American, so I understand that there is that disconnect, and right. you know, we want to be respectful to like those traditions and styles. But like if we avoided literature because of our own background or the color of our skin, think of all the music like we wouldn't get to sing and perform. Right. right? It's like two percent of the music that I play on stage is written by Americans. Mm-hmm. And so like if I only played music by Americans, I mean, I could do that, but in an orchestra that's not gonna happen. Right. <laughs> so yeah, and I mean it's a little bit different in that sense. But yeah, like in the musical world it is, it's like a big soup of sharing. Mm-hmm. And whether you see it that way or not, I kind of, it doesn't matter because it's the way it is. Yeah. And so anyway, I think that's really, really great. 
Because is produced by Mark Zyla and Jaron Michelle in the studios of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Thank you for listening to this episode. Because I read Because by Mo Willems, illustrated by Amber Wren, I wanted to learn the becauses of people I admire. Do me a favor and thank someone in your own Because story and join us next time on Because. Because.